Hey, everybody. Welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm Brandon David. Great show on tap. We have Lauren of The Artistry, which is a awesome dispensary in West Hollywood here in L.A. They have combined art and cannabis, so you can buy cannabis there like a normal dispensary. But also there's art on the walls from local artists that you can buy. So pretty cool integration there. They also have a lounge opening up soon uh, and three other stores in the L.A. area. We talk about a lot of great topics. Uh, we talk about how to get customers into the store, how to operate a store well, uh, whether they're concerned about direct to consumer sort of being cut out uh, of the retail process. Uh, short answer is no. Anyway, it was a great show. Uh, Lauren was great, had a really good time there. Uh, I learned a ton. You're going to learn a ton. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. Hey guys, if you listen to the show all the time and you get a lot of value out of it, well, first of all, thank you. Thank you for joining us every week. But if you could do me a favor and just write a quick review wherever you listen, uh, Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, whatever, tell us something funny you heard, something you learned, something that helped you with your business, uh, just go ahead and write us a review. Thanks so much, guys. Lauren, so nice to meet you. Thank you for having me here at The Artistry. We're in Hollywood. Welcome and thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Let's start you with an easy one. What's the artistry? So the artistry is a cannabis brand and our whole concept is to promote local artists and to highlight the connection between the arts and cannabis. We have four stores right now in Southern California. We'll be opening a few more in California in the next six months or so. And we're also going to be opening two different consumption lounges in West Hollywood. That sounds fun. Um, so tell me a little bit about the concept, like why art and cannabis? Why did that make sense together? So I've been in this industry for a while, since about 2009, and I have partners in this business that have also been in the medical dispensary business. Um, so we've been around, we've seen the industry evolve, and when adult use sales became legalized, we wanted to really create a brand that was new and innovative and exciting and really raise the bar for what someone would expect when they came into a dispensary. And then the city of West Hollywood decided that they would be licensing consumption lounges. So this was something that was really new and different because there aren't any other consumption lounges in Southern California. And they had a competitive application process where they wanted people to come up with new ideas and things that really fit the city. And so that's how we created the artistry. Mm -hmm. So one thing about West Hollywood is that it's a very creative and dynamic place. It's very colorful, diverse. There's a lot of local artists that live here. Um, and we thought it would be really cool if we could honor those artists by giving them a venue for their work and also raise awareness of them in the community and create a fun experience for people. So, you know, if they come into the shop, they're not just seeing cannabis products, they're actually seeing artwork all over the walls and we designed the space to even look like an art gallery. And it's we beautiful, by the way, it's so gorgeous. Um, and do you sell the art that's on the walls too? Is that allowed? Yes, so all the art is sold by the artists. So it's not actually allowed for us to sell it because of California state law, we can't sell non-cannabis products but we allow the artists to sell the pieces. So they get 100% of the proceeds. Um, so it's really nice for them and they're excited and we actually do sell a lot of art. Um, and so people that come in here maybe aren't even looking to buy art, but they'll see something that catches their eye and might go home with a piece of art. Yeah, very cool. You, you like need some cannabis and then some art to look at when you're 
smoking cannabis. That, yeah. make, that makes sense to me. Right. Obviously, there's a long tradition of being creative around cannabis and connecting in your brain and everything. So in actuality, how has that played out? Like you have artists here, you have musicians here. What's, what's the feel like around here? Yeah, so it's not just art that we hang on the walls. Like you said, we also promote all different types of artists. So performing artists. Um, so we've done DJ sets here where, especially during COVID, we'll do live stream events, um, but we'll actually have people come on site um, and set up in the cultivation room a lot of times, or we also have a private shopping area. We've had singers, we've had comedians do things with us. Um, we've had wellness type things where we did a sound bath. And in our consumption lounge, we'll really be able to explore that whole performing arts side because we'll actually have a stage area. So we wanted to, you know, if someone's coming and smoking and chilling out with their friends, they want to listen to music or have some kind of entertainment. Like those things pair perfectly and there's something that people are already pairing when they go to concerts now. Um, and so we will have a whole schedule of programming in the consumption lounge and have different types of entertainment, different days of the week, things like that. And who's that target customer? Who do you think really belongs here that you were targeting? You know, cannabis has become commonplace amongst all types of people now. So there's the local residents, which are like the heart and soul of our business. And most of the people that shop here are people that live fairly close by or work in the area. Um, they're residents of West Hollywood or LA. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of the demographic of 20s all the way to people in their 40s or 50s um, that are, you know, have some disposable income, are looking to go out and have fun and try new experiences. Um, being here, we also do get a lot of tourists. And so we know that there'll be people coming from all over the place that maybe don't actually consume cannabis on a regular basis, but they love to go to a smoking lounge. So we wanted a place that appealed to everyone, but wasn't gimmicky or touristy, like really was a place that you or I or people that live in the neighborhood would want to keep coming back to. And are you seeing that? I mean, there's a lot of places to buy cannabis in LA. Are you seeing that kind of loyalty based on the concept you put together? Yeah, we are. I feel like we have found like a special place in the hearts of locals here. Um, and similarly, we have a store in Koreatown, which is also like a very vibrant and interesting community. Um, different from here, but there's similarities. Um, but yes, a lot of our customers are regulars and they come here, we know them, they get to know our staff, we're kind of a part of their everyday lives. You know, they come here maybe once a week. That's kind of the average trend for a cannabis consumer. Um, and they come and see different art exhibits. And, you know, people are very excited about this lounge opening and having this space where it doesn't have to be like this big outing where you're going and you want to get super high and <laughs> be with friends all night. Maybe you're just, you want to get a cup of coffee. So today you come here and you buy a joint and you go upstairs and grab a cup of coffee and then go on to the next thing in your day. That's going to be super exciting. I know COVID slowed down a lot of the lounges around here. When do you expect it to be open? And how, how does it feel? That's so cool to have that open finally. Yeah, I mean, it feels amazing. It will feel even better when we're actually open. Um, but this has been a big, long process for us because we applied for the license in spring of 2018. 
And this whole consumption concept was the reason why we wanted to be here in West Hollywood. We wanted to have this license. Um, for me, being in this industry for a long time, you know, there's never been a nice consumption space. There were dispensaries that had rooms where you could smoke back in the day, and I've been to Amsterdam and all of that, but not something that's you know on the tier of what LA offers as far as restaurants and nightlife, where you could also smoke. And so we're trying to create this really cool destination. And our target opening right now is early January. Mm -hmm. So there was the Lowell's Cafe, right? The OG Canvas Cafe, which tried to do food and everything. I guess like from someone building a lounge, what do you think happened there? Did you, you were there, I, I assume. Like, yes, I've been there before. What do you think you would do differently, I suppose, than they did? Um, so I, you know, part of what, our whole concept is the arts. And they had very much like a restaurant vibe. So you came in, you could order food. Um, it didn't have as much of a cozy lounge vibe. Like even the seating at the tables was, I remember thinking like this is kind of uncomfortable like yeah. outdoor seating and all these things that influence your experience there. Um, it didn't have this like warm, you know, vibe. There wasn't any live music. Um, so I felt like it was just lacking in the heart and soul of like this whole cannabis culture mm -hmm. and what we're trying to feature. Um, and then the other thing, I mean, I, to be fair, I went there pretty early on after yeah. it had opened. And so yeah. I think they were working out kinks. But another thing was just the staff interactions. And it's so important in cannabis to have staff that's really informative and kind of nurtures you on your experience and can answer all your questions. And people, you know, are super curious. Even if they're regular consumers, they want to know, like, all about the newest strain and what these products are. And... Um, I really feel like staff sets the tone for the whole experience in our retail space and, of course, when we open the lounge. Um, and so that was something that I felt was lacking. And I, so we're really working hard to have our staff be super warm and welcoming and friendly and complete experts on all the products that we sell and on how people can consume and just helping to make customers feel really comfortable and have fun in the space. For sure. Tell me a little about staffing. I mean, just outside of the cannabis industry, it's super difficult time to hire people. Um, how has that been for you in holding on to people and, and that kind of thing? It's definitely been more challenging because of COVID. So fortunately, we do have this really solid team of people that's been with us since we launched in 2019. Um, so, you know, if you walk around the store today, you'll see people that are assistant managers and product intake leads that started with us in the launch. And so that for me, I love that. It's really special. Um, so we have this really great core staff that's helped us to expand and as we opened our newest stores. Um, but then people that we've brought on more recently, that's been a lot more challenging just with people being reliable, people, you know, when COVID first started, there was a lot of people that were nervous to come to work. And so people didn't want to work at all. You know, they ended up leaving or people that we brought on board more recently that we had issues with. And it definitely seems like people maybe are more reluctant <laughs> to work now. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it has gotten more challenging. But at, on the flip side, there's a lot of people that want to get into this industry. So 
it's not hard to find people you know that apply and you can hire that it's just finding the right people that good people. will last <laughs> good people yeah. yeah i think a lot of people during pandemic i mean i guess we're still in it but the the height of the pandemic like they figured out how to do it without working in a way and then it's like oh well why was i doing that before but it seems like this is the kind of place that people would want to work and would want to come every day and it's so exciting here but I guess I'm not doing it. So, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what I hope too. I hope people, I, I mean, I think most of the staff is genuinely likes being in the industry, you know, interacting with the customers. It's a pretty fun job compared to other types of places totally. where you could work. Um, but yes, I agree with what you said though. There, are, There is this trend of people, yeah, getting used to not working or not having to show up to a job. And so that creates challenges for employers. Well, if this podcast stuff doesn't work out, I'm going to apply. So. <laughs> okay, great. I, I think I'm knowledgeable enough. I think I'm knowledgeable enough. Um, so four dispensaries right now. This one, Koreatown. Where are the two others today? There's one in on Beverly Boulevard, uh -huh. also in Los Angeles. Yeah. It's actually pretty close to this store, like a mile and a half away, right yeah. by the Beverly Center. Yeah. And then there's one in Riverside. Got it. Okay. And do you see any kind of economies of scale in having stores that are kind of dense i mean like if there were restaurants you could order together or whatever you know do you see that yeah definitely so we are able to negotiate competitive pricing with all of the suppliers because we're ordering for multiple locations um so that's been really helpful um as far as even sourcing materials for the build outs of the stores you know when we ordered things for um we had two stores the two la ones that opened almost simultaneously. One was a remodel and one was the new Koreatown store. Um, and then Riverside, which opened pretty soon after. So we could source all the materials. You know, it makes it a lot easier when the architect's doing the remodel and we're kind of following the same style and the same lights that get installed and all of that. So it helps us now. We feel like we've gotten really good at the build outs and opening new stores. And we have a couple more that are underway right now with that whole process. Um, so definitely it you know streamlines things and same thing with on the corporate level we have employees that can handle purchasing for all of the locations and marketing and those things so it's more efficient so that kind of growth is not cheap have you guys raised money is it bootstrapped tell me that story a little bit so we've basically been doing you know friends and family funding since we started and my partners and i putting in a lot of our own money um, at the beginning um, we haven't raised any outside capital at Good this you. point. You know, we really wanted to maintain our ownership and control of the business with the plan of growing it, really getting more licenses, more stores, actively applying in a lot of different cities throughout the state, and then focusing after that on getting the exit strategy. So, you know, we're building our portfolio now. We're trying to have a brand that people recognize, um, destinations that are popular to go to um and then we'll see what happens after that mm -hmm. is there a grand plan how many stores do you want to have we have this goal of 15 locations <laughs> that's okay. something we kind of put in our head as like you know at least we have something yeah. down the road so we could focus on it yeah um so that means we would have to open in addition to all the licenses that we've already won and we have a few that are outstanding so they're still in the evaluation process you know, we still are going to have to actively apply for uh, several more. Um, but it's a realistic goal. 
there's a lot of still opportunity to expand in California. Mm -hmm. A lot of cities that still haven't licensed that are pretty major places. Yeah. Um, so hopefully we can get there. So to get nine more stores, that's your, your dream in the sky here. Do you think you will raise more capital to do that? Will it be internal or, you know? Yeah, so luckily we've done it in phases so we can kind of use the money that we're generating to open new locations. So we'll be opening another lounge in West Hollywood, not the one that's right here in this building, um, that we're hoping we can do the same kind of friends and family raise. It is a pretty large space, so it will be a bigger construction project than this lounge was. This is separate from the other dispensary down the road. You're saying a third? Yeah, yeah, we have another, yes, we're going to be opening another consumption lounge. Cool. That's a different, a, a separate license. Cause in West Hollywood, we actually got two separate lounge licenses, okay. um, which was really cool. And we didn't anticipate that happening. Yeah. Um, and then in some of the other places we have other partners too. So it's not all the same exact ownership. So we're opening a store in Oxnard. Um, we partnered, you know, 50, 50 with another group of people that we know that are investors in that project, but not in these projects right now. Mm -hmm. um, in, in Fresno, we have a local partner um, who, because a lot of jurisdictions give preference for local owners. Sure. So that's another way that we do it. So we find different partners for different projects depending on the city. Mm -hmm. So we think one of the people listening to this, if they own a brand, they're thinking, how do I get into the artistry, right? Um, and buyers and selection of product is one of the hottest topics. How do you think about that? You know, I mean, you've got all kinds of brands in here, different price ranges. How do you think about what to carry? Yeah, so we have a really huge selection, especially at this store. I think we have like 700 SKUs at any given time. Wow. Um, and it's a big space, so it lends itself to that. And, you know, we think customers like having a huge variety to choose from. It just makes it more of a fun shopping experience. And then they can also get things here that they probably can't find at other stores. Um, but we're constantly changing the mix up. So obviously first and foremost is, is it a good quality product? Would we stand behind it? Do we feel like it's something we can recommend to people? Does our staff like it? Um, and then we have a lot of brands that are, you know, more well-known and more established, like a Connected or a 710 Labs that people are coming in to buy that specifically. And then we've done a lot of partnerships with new brands like Omura was one that we created a very early partnership with them upon our launch. Um, and it's this device that is uh, kind of like a mini vaporizer. Um, so you could smoke flour in it. Um, and most people have never heard of it or have never tried something like that, but we thought it was really cool. I actually used one myself um, and we thought it was something that fit the vibe of our store. You know, it looks nice. It's kind of has a high end feel, um, but it's also innovative. And so we like to feature things like that too. So if people come in and they're like, oh, what's that? Like that's something new I've never seen before. Mm -hmm. um, so we have there, people, there's so many brands right now. So there's people clamoring to get into every store, yeah. you know, so it's not hard to find options. So then it's really figuring out who's a good partner for us, who fits the vibe of our space, you know, who's going to help with marketing initiatives that will be beneficial to both parties. Mm -hmm. And there's 
companies you know that have had artists that come in and help partner with us on those things and then on the lounge side we're planning things with different brands to have a presence in like a dab bar set up or other types of ways that with the edible space that you know different edible brands can have a presence there um, so but the, yeah but there's so many products out there right now so so many. it's always changing and we're always getting new things and sometimes things don't work out and we don't continue you know we have to look at sell through and how it's going and so we try things out and then if they don't work we move on to different options so as a consumer there's this wide-ranging availability which is awesome um, one of the fears I have and I think other people do is too is that the brands with the most money basically to do marketing or shelving fees or whatever else are gonna win and that doesn't necessarily mean the best products win how do you feel about that and when someone approaches you do you kind of think of a balance between size companies or how do you think through that yeah so you know there's it's like the coca-colas of the world versus like a local brand of artisan soda beverages people really like both things i think especially in la or you know people like to buy local they like to ha hear the backstory they want to know how it's grown and produced um, so I think there's room in the market for both uh, because those big brands have big marketing budgets. You know, people know who they are before they even walk in the door. Whereas another, you know, there's lots of products no one's ever seen before and they might come in here, but you know, we're happy to promote things that we think are good quality or there's a lot of brands that are doing great things for social equity where they donate a portion of their proceeds to different projects or causes um, and those are things that are important to us too so i think it's just finding the balance and our staff is the most important vehicle for selling any product so making sure that they know all the facts on things and you know they they can recommend to someone like look this is an amazing flower like on par with the connected or alien labs and maybe not at the same price point but you should really try it out and you know people are open to different options usually and open to being educated about things so that's a way that we can push different size brands and not only be promoting the big ones that have all of the marketing sure um so for a long long time and in a lot of cases the THC to dollar ratio is super important to consumers. I mean, we're in Hollywood, there's more money in this area than in a lot. Do you find that's the same in this store or in your stores or are people sort of opening more up to, to brands specifically? I think, so there's the consumers that just want the product with the highest THC percentage and they come in the door and they ask for that. and. I think that does a big disservice to a lot of products because, I mean, at a certain point, there's enough THC in it to get you high. So you don't need something with 30% THC um, to have a good experience when you're smoking, but people do have that, oh, this costs this much and it has you know, more THC than the product that's slightly more expensive. And so those consumers, I feel like, you know, maybe aren't the most informed, but there's always going to be the people that just look at the numbers and want to buy things that way. And so we know the THC percentage is important to a lot of people, but at the same time, it's so much more than that. So it's, you know, different types of flour are going to give you different effects. And, you know, how is this grown? And is it a local small company? And Terpenes and other yeah, cannabinoids. So it and comes, yeah, it comes into educating people because 
if people just look at the labels, you know, they're going to judge it. But I think a lot of consumers, one, are not looking to get as high as they absolutely can. Yep. And some people actually are like, I don't want something too strong. Yep. Um, and they want to try different things. And so that just goes back to, you know, educating people, having the staff be able to explain that it's not all about those numbers on the test results. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you find the same, you guys also do delivery, mm -hmm. um, out of each location you do delivery? Is that, right or now, how does it work? We just do it out of this store for the uh -huh. LA area because it makes more sense because sure. it has more space and with the, so we're able to service a big chunk of LA from this store. But if you were to go on the website and go to like the Beverly store, it would say order delivery, sure. but the cars would be coming from here. Yeah. Um, and what's kind of the mix between like brick and mortar and online sales? Is it significant? So the online sales, well, so the delivery sales are well, it could probably, be pickup too, I guess, but yeah, delivery. Yeah. I'm, so yeah. delivery is probably about 10% of our sales. So it's much smaller than mm -hmm. the in-store sales. And then pickup is about 20%. Okay. So a lot of people pre-order online and do pickup and we do offer curbside or in-store. Um, but so still the vast majority want to actually come inside. And mm -hmm. even during COVID, which was very interesting for us, people still were coming to the store, which maybe is because not a lot of businesses were open. Yeah, There's nowhere to go. <laughs> so they're like, oh, I could actually come in person. Um, but for us, we want to grow the delivery side. It hasn't been a major focal point for us. It's kind of an add-on service to the customers that we're already servicing. So we're working on that. And then especially in other markets like Riverside where it's pretty spread out and there's not a lot of stores. Um, so we think delivery there will be a lot more popular. Um, but here, and maybe part of it is because it's a nice looking space and it's kind of fun to come inside. Totally. We're still seeing that most people want to come in and shop in person. Well, it's such a heavy traffic area too, right? That, yeah. that certainly helps a lot. Um, you want to grow the delivery side. A lot of these brands, the big brands, they're starting to explore DTC mm -hmm. and getting to customers directly and sort of, for lack of a better word, cutting you guys out in yeah. a little way. How much do you think about that and how real do you think that is? So we've seen that with many of the brands that we carry. Um, we can't prevent that. You know, they're, <laughs> they're doing that. I, it makes sense for them. I think that we just have to compete on a different level, which is the experience that we offer, the selection that we offer. So, you know, someone that's going just to buy a Kiva product, yeah, they can go on their website and buy that. Um, but one, we have a lot of great deals and sales and things, so we can be competitive on the pricing with that. And then of course, people can order a lot of other products in addition. Um, so it doesn't scare me too much. I mean, I know a lot of brands are moving that direction. Well, they're trying. Yeah. yeah and, and so it's just, it's a different model. And our model is to create a place where people want to actually come and shop in person and it's fun and there are lots of products to choose from. Um, and so, you know, just like there's hundreds of stores around here too and we have to compete with them. But I don't ever view it as like, oh, like we're fighting against all these other stores for the customers. I mean, we are in a way, but we just have to be different and better and do something so that people, you know, know us and want to buy it from us instead of one of the other brands. 
Yeah, I think in some ways, so many ways, California is so far behind the other markets in the sense that it's not just about access anymore. You know, if you go to Illinois, or you go to Michigan, it's just like whatever's on the shelf sells out, right? Mm -hmm. And and here, yeah, it's about creating a brand. It's about creating an experience. And I think when more and more lounges open up, you're going to see even more of that. Uh, if you look at the way alcohol is purchased or the way new alcohol brands are discovered, well, it's like with your friends or at a bar or something. And, and I think it lends itself really nice. We were talking about before the interview, like beverages and low-dose edibles and stuff like that. How do you see the future of those kinds of alternative, like non-smoking products? Are you seeing the growth there or what, what's your prediction? Yeah, we're definitely seeing a growth. I mean, edibles have got, gained popularity throughout the past couple of years, I think definitely since adult use became legalized. Um, in the lounge, that will be, I think, a very effective setting for exposing people to more of those things because maybe they wouldn't come here shop and buy a canned drink because they're coming in just to get flour. But if they're sitting up there and we have our drink menu or maybe we have options for them to infuse you know, our own mocktail type thing with another cannabis-infused product, I think people will be much more likely to explore those different options. Um, and so it's that having the actual consumption space is a great way for us to feature products, but also for brands to come in and do their own tastings or, you know, you see the alcohol reps at bars and that thing. And so I'm sure brands will be wanting to do a lot of that there so they can just raise awareness of their products. Yeah. People are so price sensitive when it comes to cannabis. And I think that's the culture that we've come through, come from. But if you look at alcohol, I mean, people go out and spend ridiculous amounts of money on drinks yeah. and they're not concerned, <laughs> like, does this have the highest level of alcohol in it? Right. Exactly. And, I, and I'm always interested, like in that dynamic and why people, maybe they're just drunk. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair, I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, especially in LA, like you'll go somewhere and easily buy like a 15 to yeah, like If you go to Chow, it's like crazy expensive, you know? And yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you don't think, cause you're paying for the experience. You're paying for like, you know, the ingredients and hopefully it tastes really good, but you're, you're in Tao and you're enjoying the ambiance and you're not as price sensitive. And so I do think in the lounge, like maybe when you come in here, people, you know, are looking at the price tags more, but when you're having a meal and sitting down with friends and listening to music and then, well, it's worth a few more dollars it's to an try experience, this drink. To your point, it's an experience, yeah. And, it's, and the trying part, I think, is really important. I think a lot of people, they're kind of afraid to try cannabis and so when they find something that they really like, they like stick with it, you know, mm -hmm. as opposed to alcohol where it's like, oh yeah, I'll try your margarita, you know, I'll have that old fashioned, like um, it really makes a difference. One of the things that alcohol doesn't have, the cannabis industry has, is the black market. Um, a lot of people don't like to talk about it. It's not good in webinars and investment forums, but how much do you think about that and what, what do we do? Yeah, so it's a huge issue or a huge aspect of the California market, however you want to phrase it. Um, I think the black market still is much larger than the legal market even here, which is crazy. Um, you know, I can see how there's a lot of cultivation and manufacturing, but it's interesting that even the dispensary side, there's still black market businesses operating, even in the city of LA. Um, because there's, there's no other business, like you said, where there's like illegal stores or unlicensed liquor stores, like just going and selling things. 
Um, and so it's a weird industry. I mean, like being in it from a long time ago and everything was kind of black market back then. And so the industry hasn't evolved fully away from that. And I think because the, the prices and the taxes are so you know high that for a consumer, the, the black market is a great option for many people. And that's part of the problem is that the black market products are not taxed so that people, there's a lot of people that just want to buy that way. So there's a market for them. And then of course, things that are going out of state. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, you know, things that would help would just be not having such strenuous regulation, not having excessively high licensing fees for people that want to get their DCC license and operate a store. And it's incredibly difficult to go through all the hurdles to get licensed, to operate a business, to get all the approvals. You know, you have to get conditional use permits in a lot of places, paying all the fees. You have to hire a lawyer, you have to hire an architect and engineer and all these people to just to get you to the opening. And so, you know, how is a company that doesn't have the financial backing compete with that, even if they're a black market business that wants to get a license? Like, it might not be feasible or it, might, it won't make economic sense, which is where a lot of those black market producers are right now. It's just, what's yeah. the point? Um, I mean, you can blame them. You can blame regulation and taxes. I think at a societal level, we have to start talking about it more. We have to say, particularly in California, people are so sensitive to where their food is sourced and being healthy and all these things. And then they're just willing to have cannabis that's totally untested and they don't know where it comes from. And I think, I don't know, do we have to create like some kind of campaign or something around it? Because I talk to folks like you, they're so hardworking in the industry, following all the rules, doing everything right. And it's just not fair. I mean, life isn't fair, but it's not fair. Yeah, no, it's true. And it's, I guess there could be like a public yeah. health awareness ca campaign. Yeah. You know, they kind of try to do things here in LA where they tell people to report unlicensed stores and some of that stuff about the dangers of untested products. And, but then do people care? Do people care? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. kind of weird. I think people view cannabis as safe compared to you know some other street drug that could be cut with something or yep. you know so they're not probably as scared about this illegally grown cannabis as some other types of products yeah um it's yeah, gonna be really interesting hard. to see how it develops because part of it's generational right like if you grow up in a world where cannabis is legal and you can go to the store all the time once you're an adult, you would think you would do that. Yeah, you're not going to go find some random person. Exactly. So, yes, it will probably change. Whereas, like, we've lived in the generation of the illicit cannabis sales. And so you know that that's an option. And if you're, you wouldn't know how to find it, right? If you had just grown up coming to a store like this and the norm, this is the norm. And what I find is a lot of illicit buyers they think they know a lot about cannabis and what they're seeing and what they're smelling, but they really don't. Right. Yeah. And then they come into like a real store and they're like, yeah. oh my gosh, yeah. there's so many options. Or I get the feedback sometimes like, I'm so high. What was that weed? And I was like, well, it's just legal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, done. Yeah. it's done the right way, right? Um, you talked about a little bit of plans for the future and a potential exit. I know you're not there yet. But what does that look like? I mean, you have these 15 stores. Do you want to be purchased by a retail company or a alcohol company? Or, you know, 
kind of dream a little bit. Yeah, so I mean, it would be really cool to open more lounges. There are other places in California that will be licensing them. There's even other states. Um, so in that, you know, if we were able to be more of a hospitality brand and not just the cannabis retail, I think that would be appealing to companies that, yeah, maybe were an alcohol type brand or a hospitality group. Um, maybe that would be interested in acquiring us in the licensing at some point. Um, but then, you know, there's also a lot of brands that are looking to mm -hmm. acquire brick and mortar retail and expanding with that focus. Um, so we think we have a really cool brand and concept you in do. this artist thing. And so, you know, hopefully we could, even if we were to get acquired, the, the essence and the artistry and that whole vibe could still be preserved and we didn't just become some other cannabis brand. Right. Um, so I think that would be important to us. I mean, it's hard to know down sure. the line. I'm Someone you offers, dream, you know, yeah. some crazy amount, then, yeah. you know, maybe that's not as important, but we'll see. But I mean, we're trying to, to build something that's really special and that people hopefully can really connect with. Um, and so, you know, we're trying, we're, and we'll see how it goes. Um, you've been in the industry a long time. Where do you feel like we are today? Not just the artistry, but in general. How do you feel about it? I think we're in a really good place because I think that this is becoming so normalized. So, you know, I have young kids and when I grew up, like, you know, cannabis was illegal and you didn't want to tell people you were doing it. Where did you grow up? I grew up first in New Jersey and then I lived in Las Vegas. Okay. Um, both going to be legal now, though, or yeah, one is, yeah, one will be. So. Yeah, cool. exactly. So, um, and actually, New Jersey, I mean, could be a really cool option for us. Totally. Um, but so, to my kids, when they are of age or whatever, it's just going to be the same as alcohol. And I don't see any reason why, you know, it shouldn't be. And so, I think it's nice that this has become accepted and that it's become this thing where you could be proud to tell someone that you're the owner of cannabis businesses where as when I first got into the industry it was like I didn't want to tell my parents at first and then like I had family members that were judgmental about like oh because I'm an attorney so I was practicing mm -hmm. law before so it was like what are you doing like, yeah why this <laughs> yeah but now it's like you you shouldn't have any problem with this like this is a real thing like come and look in this store like this is a beautiful shopping space it's not something that's seedy or you know, unsafe or unsavory in any way. Um, and so I think it's really nice that you can have spaces like this and there's a demand for it and it's become this cultural thing that's accepted. Do you miss practicing law ever? No, I have to, well, I unfortunately have to still practice law oh, a lot for our business because there's always a lot of things, whether it's like these license applications or reviewing a lease. I, I do a lot of the contract stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the not fun part of my job. <laughs> the fun part's being in the store and doing the art and those kind of things. Um, but definitely do not miss being in a law firm office and having to deal with the corporate clients and the cutthroat nature of things. So I'm glad I'm not there anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how's your personal relationship with cannabis evolved through this? Um, I think that's a good question. I mean, I was a 
you know, recreational user before I started working officially in the industry. Um, I probably consume it a lot less than it used to because like I said, I have kids and I, I'm busy, but I mean, I still use it like a few times a week. Yeah. I feel like now there's so many different ways and products and microdose and the Murray thing I was talking about, or, you know, maybe it's just a hit off of a vape pen um, and not your smoking a blunt and like getting super Yeah, what do you hot. gravitate towards? Flowers or vapes, edibles? I usually do, I like vapes. I like the Carvana vapes that we have a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I do like, I still smoke flower, but mm -hmm. usually it's more like I'm taking smaller doses of something. So it's either an edible at the end of the day um, or the vape. Those are just like easier to consume kind mm -hmm. of. Um, I don't get to just chill out and like sit around smoking and watching movies. I would actually love to still do that. It's just more of like with my current lifestyle. Um, but cannabis to me is like something that is a part of my life and I think is a very therapeutic thing to just, it's the same thing as, you know, having a glass of wine at the end of the day or if you're at a party or going out, like maybe you're having an edible instead of like having a whole bunch of drinks and feeling bad the next day. Um, and so I'm a huge proponent of using it and trying it in all the different ways that you can consume it now. And there's so many like mom friends I have and people that I've turned them, you know, they're scared of it. And so it's, I've kind of said, oh, look, try this can drink. You know, it's two and a half milligrams. Like you're not going to be too high. And then that's the gateway for them to feel comfortable with other types of cannabis. Yeah, you're awesome role model in that way, right? I mean, <laughs> not the stereotype of someone that owns dispensaries. And yet yeah. you can sort of be that beacon of hope. Maybe that's too strong, yeah. but yeah. No, I mean, I recommend it for lots of things to, you know, my mom for like a topical for her back or whatever it is, because people don't realize they think of some people think of the stoner and like, oh, you're just going to be high coughing, like laughing and like sitting in a room. Couch I mean, stoner, but also just like young males. Yeah. I think a lot of people think of that stereotype and that's obviously not how it is, right? And that's not how it's progressing, which is really exciting. Really, really exciting. Um, I think that's a good place to wrap up as any. Thank you so much. How can we help you? How can the audience help you? Are you hiring bud tenders or, I mean, obviously come to the store, buy something? Yeah, I mean, we're always looking for new team members, especially because we're expanding. So we'll be opening in Oxnard soon. We'll be opening in Fresno. Um, we're opening a store in Northern California and El Cerrante. We'll be opening the lounge. So we, we'll be looking for, you know, not just bud tender staff, but people that have hospitality backgrounds, service And that's backgrounds. like early next year, right? Very yeah, soon? Yeah. That, yeah, that'll be... I mean, we've started the hiring process already, oh, cool. but we're still looking for more people. And then the other thing is artists. So we're always looking for new artists. And we have exhibits in all of the stores. Every couple months, we switch it out. Um, so it's actually quite a bit of artwork between the four locations right now. So we're always you know, looking for new people to feature in the store. You can actually submit all your artwork on our website if you're interested. Um, if you're a performing artist of some type, we also would love to learn more about you for our lounge. Um, so I think, and then of course, like you said, come visit, check us out in person. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Lauren, thanks so much. It's been really great. You should be really proud of what you built here. It's very, very cool. Thank you. I yeah. appreciate that. <laughs>